everybody. It is Tuesday, March 13th. Welcome back to the Weekly Impact Podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Brent Smith. Today, I'm joined around the table by our lead pastor, Phil Nelson, um, community life pastor, Daniel Yelverton, and Michael Miller. Michael, what is your, do you have a, an official title in what you do? I don't know what I am anymore. <laughs> Podcast know. aficionado? Yeah, give them an update real quick on what you did recently. Yeah. I retired from the military. Yeah. Which that was super exciting. And I have like this mandatory beard thing that's not going well. Hey, by the way, <laughs> congratulations and thank you for your service. Yeah, I really pleasure. appreciate it. Thank you for your tax dollars for my education. I really appreciate it. <laughs> hey, no problem. It's You're the welcome. least we could do. <laughs> so uh, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know Michael has joined us before. Um, very, very knowledgeable guy, uh, depth of knowledge from his life experience. And um, so we're always happy to have him and see what he brings to the podcast. Um, today's chapter is first John chapter two, as always, we read from the ESV version of the Bible, and we're just going to go ahead and jump right into the scripture. Chapter two of first John, starting with verse one, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we've come to know him. And if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven For his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went on from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And that concludes our reading of today's chapter. Uh, Before we get into uh, observations, uh, if anybody would like to give any kind of a context or a background on that, I know, Michael, you had mentioned that before, but if anybody wants to add anything as well, go ahead. I'll take it. I love it. <laughs> this 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 is my wheelhouse. I love this stuff. So, okay. Um the the apostle John, of course, is writing this. And he's writing specifically from Ephesus. And, and this is a circular letter. So, we see that that he calls these people little children and and the loving way that he he addresses people. We know that he he's addressing people that he knows. But this ends up being, you know, circular. So we're not exactly sure where it goes first, but we know it gets passed around. He's writing this at a late date, probably between 90 and 95 AD. Um, So we know that the church has been persecuted under Rome, you know, so we know that this is a later thing at the the tail end of that century. Um, So why is John writing this stuff? Like, what's what's going on? Um, What we know is that Gnosticism was just killing the church at the time, right? And if you don't know what Gnosticism is, the short version, it's really confusing, but the short version is there were people that that believed messed up stuff about Jesus. Some folks believed that he was only a spirit. Some people believed that, that he was fully man and he wasn't actually God. The biggest thing is some of these folks didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And one of the biggest things that John is trying to do in this in 1 John is dispel that rumor. He's trying to say, look, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. And, and because of that, you know, this, this, is, this is what we do with it, if that makes any sense. What, what basically John does is he gives us an overview of 1 John first. So actually, the, the chapters that we're in, um, John is, is about to tell us what he's going to tell us. He does that in chapter 1 and into chapter 2. And then he, he really starts getting to, into the Christian life and kind of how we are to act um, if we are walking in the light, if we are in Christ, he starts telling us how to be. 
So, and, and that's all within the idea of Gnosticism, trying to make sure that we avoid that. So that's kind of the, the scheme of what's going on, what, why John's writing, when John's writing, who he's writing to in a nutshell. So observations then, out of the reading, um, anybody, what stuck out to you? What's something that you'd like to bring up and address? I'll start with just a very simple observation, mm-hmm. um, but just part of the context as well is who is writing this. Yeah. Uh, John the Beloved. And this is, he's called the Beloved, not because he was a special disciple, not because he sat closest to Jesus at the table. It was because he understood how loved he was. Mm -hmm. He understood that being found in Christ is everything. And that's where Jesus, I mean, Jesus came not to bring religion. He came to bring relationship because the God of all creation is about relationship. And what's cool to observe is you, you see John Wright is we know him by the way we love. And that word know in the Greek is very intimate. And so John the Beloved is beloved is because he understands his identity and the relationship that God has with him to where this isn't just a religion. This is a true relationship. That's why he then calls them children. He's loving them. He's shepherding them. So in my opinion, especially as a pastor, I glean so much from John. Because he has a shepherd's heart. You have teachers and preachers who may not be a shepherd, who may not be a pastor. Um, John may have not been a bold teacher like Peter or Paul, but he was a shepherd. Yeah. I love that you feel like you hit on identity because one thing I love to make sure that we highlight is these chapters don't exist in isolation. Like John didn't write like this little chapter two by itself, right? Um, it's 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 obviously following. I don't know if you guys know math, like chapter one, right? Mm-hmm. So he's talking about walking in light in chapter one. He says, you know, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and him is no darkness at all. At all, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness and we lie and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus as, as the son cleanses us from all sin. The point is, is like we have an identity in Christ. The light of Christ is in us and that, and that affects who we are in everything that we do. I think what's really cool about uh, John is that uh, from what we have from documentation, and he's the uh, oldest uh, surviving eyewitness as far as discipleship goes. So he's the oldest disciple when he is uh, exiled to Patmos, and where we get a lot of the his books are uh, a richer perspective of wisdom because he's able to see a lot of the things that's happened not only from Jesus' life and resurrection and ascension, but also the early church. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I love is that he brings a lot of simplicity to the gospel into following Jesus. Because I think the hard thing is that when we try to, when we learn more about Jesus, the temptation is, is to 
bring in more stuff into the mixture, to bring in more ideas that we have. Uh, we can dilute the gospel by bringing in concepts of works or questions like they were having about the Gnosticism. Like they were, they had all kinds of opportunities for people to just kind of manipulate the simplicity of the gospel. And I just, even in this chapter, like we talked about in chapter one, the simplicity was walking in the light mm-hmm. as he is in the light. And you have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ covers your sins. Like that is, that is a simple version of walking out with Jesus. And I think what's interesting that we see in uh, verses seven, all the way down to 11 is that the simplicity here is that if we don't love our brothers, if we don't love the people around us, then the love of God is not in us. Somebody and, shout amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> and so I think that it's um, religion at its core, um, and I say that and apart from faith from Jesus, a religion at its core is trying to be right with God in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. All world religions have that in their DNA. They want to become right with some sort of deity. And uh, usually that involves some sort of version of sacrifice, and it's really between the person and God. And Jesus brought something totally different when he said that your love for me is represented by how you love other people. And so John is reinforcing this later on because it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to pull away from the original love that first captured us, right? And so he's saying, if you hate your brother, the light is not in you. Mm -hmm. And so it really kind of simplifies what it comes to living out and being a follower of Jesus is based on our interaction and our love for other people. And so I I really love John's writings, not only his mm-hmm. gospel, but also mm-hmm. his uh, his letters that we have, uh, first, second, third John, and then Revelation. And so I just think that because uh, he brings such clarity and perspective, he was the one that was able to just kind of coin uh, the simplicity of John three sixteen and yeah. 17, because really he had that, that view, that perspective, that wisdom that was given by the Holy Spirit to say, hey, what Jesus came, he came to do something new, and he came to just rock our worlds when it comes to how we treat other people, but there's a simplicity to it. Mm-hmm. And so we can't kind of rationalize, you know, our being right with God by the way by pushing others out or by treating others unfairly or by hurting other people because that directly correlates with our relationship with the Lord. Well, let me let me um let me mess with Phil. See, what well, some of you guys <laughs> you, you all don't know is that I was supposed to come last week and something just didn't work out with that. So, uh, I studied a lot for last week and I had talked to Phil <laughs> that I was going to throw Daniel under the bus about <laughs> about a specific scripture. So there's another one here that Phil doesn't know about that Y'all I'm going to throw him me. under the bus. You know? Pray for me, yeah. So, cause, so you talk about you know that part of getting right with God, right? And that some of the idea here that that John, um, you know, writes about is is our lo- you know loving people is part of that getting right. But let's talk soteriology. Let's talk salvation about getting right with God. And in verse um, two. This is a big verse that people argue about, so I, would, I want to hear what Phil you know, has to say about it. It says, he is the propitiation for our sins. Now, here's the tough part. And not only ours, or, or, or and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Dun, dun, dun. So I, I, want, I, want, to hear, I want to hear Phil you know, talk about the propitiation, see what you got for that one. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, propitiation is a, a big word. Yeah. And it 
the meaning is a lot less complicated than the word. Propitiation is really about the wrath and the judgment that every one of us, because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, mm-hmm. are deserving. Um, just like the Passover, going back to when the Israelites were under the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and the Lord was going to come with his judgment and wrath against the rebellion and sin of man, he still had mercy on the people who chose to love him and obey him. And what's happening here, the correlation is John's talking about obedience. Yes. Okay? Uh, Obedience in the Passover was sacrificing the lamb that was going to protect them and cover them. And uh, so the propitiation means now that the judgment and wrath has to be paid for. Mm-hmm. It has to. And Jesus being the propitiation wasn't just our salvation. He was truly the lamb that took on the wrath and punishment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it's not just this wonderful story that Jesus died for your sins. He literally took on the wrath to where his father, they've always known oneness from the beginning of creation. And here then Jesus is man, God in flesh, walking every step, every breath as we do, but still oneness with God. And Mm -hmm. because he took the wrath and the penalty, God had to turn his face away. We don't understand and really grasp what happened in that moment in the heart of Jesus and his father going to the sins of the world that's the tough part the tough so, of the, are you, so the first are you referring part to like easy. collective salvation yeah the argument about that yeah because uh, I mean I think as people read this right they're, they're I mean you can't read this and not not read that part so, and here's the I, thing I, I want to hear where yeah. the correlation of the Israelites and the Passover in Egypt okay just like in John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the Christians that he... Wait, wait. For God so loved the church. No. For God so loved the world yeah. that he gave his only begotten son. Going back to Egypt and the Israelites, he gave them the option and the choice to be saved. Mm-hmm. They did not have to take the sacrificial lamb and put the blood over the doorpost, nor do we have to take the sacrificial blood for the forgiveness of our sins that happened through this man named Jesus. But he still did it for everyone. Yeah, It's a matter of, are you going to receive it mm-hmm. and obey what he commands? And that is to put it over the doorpost of your heart. Yeah. That, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to be saved because he died for everyone. Daggone it, Phil. I tried to throw him in front of the bus and he just like flexed <laughs> and then the bus wrecked on top of him instead of the, him getting wrecked by the bus. He hulked out. That, that I'm just so bad. thankful I looked up propitiation two years ago. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> you know, I, I looked it up today too because, um, you know, this, this verse, I thought we, we need to talk about it because why shy away from that stuff, you know? And um, propitiation, it really does basically mean atonement for the wrath of God. Yeah. So, and, and man, Phil. Wow, you said it in three seconds to my, like, 
30 minutes. No, no, you, you, you nailed it. And I feel bad because, you know, you won and I lost. So next, next time I'll try to throw Brent under the bus. I feel like I need some like video game sound effects like game over. Hey, Brent, you know, you, you edit this thing so you can totally make that happen. Hey, when it says, um, Michael, I have a question for you. When it says we, dang it. I know. I'm sorry. It says that we know, uh, when we come to know him, if we keep his commands, um, what do you think he's referring to? Wow. See, now he got me under the bus and I'm rolled over. (laughs) All right. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Well, then he says, whoever says know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar. So uh, I think this is, this speaks to relationship, um, if we, this is the whole, you will know them by their fruits thing. Um, if, if we claim that we're Christians, like the song, they'll know that we're Christians by our love. Um, that, I think that's what he's talking about because he continues to talk about the new commandment down in verse seven. So he's beloved, I'm writing you uh, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And he goes on uh, and he talks about not hating your brother. Uh, not walking in darkness, and basically talking about loving people. So I think the point that John's making here is that if you claim to be a Christian, um, you should be loving to people, and you know. And I understand that people could take that that verse as, and, and this works um, to support what Phil just talked about, because when he talks about the propitiation for our sins. And, and going on, not for ours, but the whole world. And then he says, yeah, but, you know, I'm writing you a new commandment, you know, um, so I can see how one can support the other, and that works too, but I think the whole point is love. Well, what is the greatest commandment? To love God, love yeah. others. And I think that it's it's important to, like when we read Scripture, understand the context of uh, what John is talking about, because mm-hmm. he's talking about Jesus' commandment. And it's really, mm-hmm. uh, we have to like draw light to that, because since we have the Old Testament and the New Testament combined in our Bible, we have lots of different references when it comes to commandments. And so we can look at that and think, Ten Commandments. So we've got to obey all the different Ten Commandments, and then that means that we're going to know Jesus. And that's not what John is saying here, because he's referring to Jesus' commandment. Mm -hmm. And Jesus gave his commandment to us. He gave one commandment to us on the Last Supper, right the night before he died, Mm -hmm. and that was, you are to love others the way that I loved you. I give you this new commandment. So that's in John 13. And so he simplifies every aspect of the whole kind of religious, the whole sacrificial system, everything that's kind of um, being made right with God, all of the laws that we get in the Old Testament from the ancient Judaism, and he puts it and he narrows it down into two, like we were talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, and then he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. This is is something that is coming from me, from God. This is kind of like the new Sinai, uh, Mount Sinai encounter, like when Moses brought everything that God said. Jesus is saying, here, I'm coming to fulfill all this. I'm the prophet that's like Moses that's coming in and that's bringing this new commandment. And, And so with that, there's this huge simplicity to it because... Jesus, the the person, the people, or the group of people that he was so in conflict with, was the Pharisees and the religious leaders because they used their religious systems and their religious laws to oppress people. Mm-hmm. They had the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and they were shutting people out. With this, John is trying to reinforce and help us to remember: Hey, this is the commandment. This is the commandment. This is the measure for which you are going to know that you're my disciple, to know that you're right with God by how how you love people the way I have loved you. 
That's good. I, I do have a question. I think our readers um, m- might have the same question as we, you know, transition from uh, the love of God and then also displaying the love of God, which means that you are obeying his commandments, which then shows the fruit of your relationship with him. Then it talks about not loving the world. Um, so if we're going to application, um, and I, I would like to hear your your feedback as well about the Antichrist, because I think that brings yeah. a lot of confusion and mis, misrepresentation. But would you guys, is there anything that uh, comes to mind as far as not loving the world? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Because I, I saw this, and, and it blew me away as I was studying this. Um, so we Christians, we love to quote this, and, and we love to quote this kind of out of its context a bit. Um, John just got done talking about love, right? Like we just we just had this whole, this whole new commandment that Daniel talked about, right? We, t- we talked about this love thing, and, and then like he pauses. It's like, yeah, but, you know. And, he's, and he says, you know, don't love the world or the things in the world, and, and he goes on with that. And then I realized something big, um, that we are to do eternal stuff. Like, we should value what is eternal, and we should not value things that aren't eternal. Relationships, love, those things are eternal, right? Mm-hmm. Now, like, my cool Camaro that I finally got the battery in and got to drive over here to church. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's like in flat black paint and it needs like thousands of dollars of work. That's not eternal, right? The the cool shoes I love to spend all my hard-earned money on, those things aren't eternal, right? Yeah. However, like the relationship that, that we have around this table with us guys, right? Those things are eternal because I, I'm not certain. I love picking on Brent. I'm not certain, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure Brent's going to heaven. I know that I am. So... <laughs> That's messed up, right? Same here, man. But <laughs> but our relationship is eternal, and those things matter. So love is eternal, and, and all this money and all this stuff, it's just, why love it? Why get wrapped up in loving the world when it's just going to go away? Well, well, I have to just clarify when it comes to, when it says the world, I think it's easy, uh, and I think it was probably something that is... Not old school, but definitely something that we I, I even grew up experiencing is that the world was more people. It was people that uh, had sinned against God that were opposing to God. And so I think that when we read this, we can kind of create this us versus them yeah. mentality. Oh, yeah. And I think that that totally is different, that differs and it's contrary to the heart of God. And so when we read this, it's I think that it's not just talking, it's not talking about people. Because when we're talking about people, you know, we are, we're, we're basically saying that God's salvation and God's love is exclusive to those who are believers. And we've already kind of talked about, hey, that's not the case, yeah. that God loved the world. And so if it says God so loved the world, and then John says, do not love the world or the things of this world, <laughs> it can be, it can almost feel like it's a little contradictory. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think we need to understand what he's saying in context here about, uh, especially in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of light, life. And that has nothing to do with people. Like that right. has to do with heart issues. Right. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those is heart issues. And so when he says, do not love the world or the things of this world, there is this influence that we have internally in us because we have something that wars against, you know, the the spirit of God in us, and that's our flesh. Uh, and so 
when John is saying, do not love the world, he's talking about these things that are at war against us, Mm -hmm. these desires that we have in our heart, the desires that we have when we lust after things, the the pride that we put before God and we say, I can, we ascend to this, we put our knowledge above God. All of these things are these things and these patterns of this world that don't mean the people of the world. Right. Yeah. Because God's desire is that all people come to repentance. And so this is never an us versus them mentality. It's actually much deeper, much more spiritual when it comes to what we're actually battling here. Yeah. And that's and that's why I talked about the eternal aspect of it. And then, and where I got that, by the way, I didn't make that up, Daniel. I see you judging me. No, would never do no, that. It, and that's why I get it from is the verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Mm-hmm. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, you know, that, that, that continues to speak to where you were, what you were saying. You know, it's, it's, it's not j- the world. He's not talking about people because people can last forever, you know. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, this is a eternity versus temporality thing. Uh, Michael, could you? Uh, we were talking right before uh, we did the podcast. Could you? Could you just touch on the whole antichrist? Sure, thing? sure. So now, don't get me wrong. Okay, there is an antichrist. We've read Revelation. We know that that, that there those things are real. But like, that's not what this particular passage is, is necessarily talking about. It, it can be an and, like a both and, not an either or kind of situation. Because again, like I said, when we introduce this thing. One thing that we see happening is Gnosticism, right? These people are, are, are believing crazy things about Jesus, and they're teaching crazy things about Jesus. They're influencing the church. They're twisting the gospel. And that's what John is is writing to respond to. And what he is saying is like, dude, these people are antichrists, literally. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, They were and, and Christ means Messiah, right? They were anti-Messiah. They were anti-Christ. They were messing things up, man. So that that's the whole point. And he's and he's going on and this thing ta- and warning them against them. And he's also saying, hey, these people are leaving the church. These people are, are getting out of here, and and we remain. So that's the whole separation he talks about. So the the, the basic point is, Gnostics are antichrist. Hmm. And I think that um, not only is we think of Antichrist, we think about the person in, in Revelation. We think about the Antichrist. Right. Um, like capital letters, like the person, the right. Antichrist. But there's a lot of Antichrist, Anti-Messiah, Anti-Savior um, ideas, mentalities. And, and so the Antichrist is, is not just that one person that's going to culminate in it. It, it, it trickles all throughout history and all throughout uh, influences that try to come into the church, is that they're anti-Messiah, uh, they're anti-Savior, they're anti-the-gospel message of Jesus, and that's why they would be considered the Antichrist. And so it doesn't have to be just that looking yeah. ahead to that one single person. Yeah. One thing that I know um, that I thought about was in between, like so verse 12 to verse 14, yeah, I, I really, I think it's very specific what John is referring to when he when he's talking to different people in the audience. He's saying little children, fathers, young men, mm-hmm. fathers, young men, and he kind of is going through a list of things. And I think this is not just necessarily people that have that physical relationship. So uh, this isn't just his young children. You know, John is not writing to his physical descendants. It's a, it's a spiritual kind of relationship. It's yeah. spiritual descendants, spiritual I father. For, I was going to ask for clarification on that. Yeah. So, in, in spiritual young men, and so I think what what's awesome here is that there is 
different levels of spiritual maturity, and John is writing to them very specifically. And so uh, with this, I think we can take from a couple things. Uh, One, we can see that John is recognizing that the spiritual life is a journey. That if you're joining us and you're just kind of tuning in, you're just new to the faith, or you're just getting reconnected to Jesus, is that it's a process. And it's one that's going to take time as you get to know him and as you get connected with people. Uh, but also that there is for us as teachers, but also just as just disciples of Jesus, we interact with people in the faith differently. Mm-hmm. So we give children of the faith different advice then we give fathers oh, of the faith. Yeah. And so uh, there's, when we read through this, like little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, understand you're forgiven. Understand who you are in Jesus. Fathers, because you've known who he is from the beginning. It's, 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 there's a maturity to that. Right. You the have depth. seen, yeah, yeah, you've seen that God has always been faithful. He's always doing that. You're seeing the connectivity between the actions of God. For the children, they may not be able to understand that, and that's okay, yeah. because really what they need to understand is that they are saved and they're mm. forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And then the and, encouragement for the young man. That's good. Yeah, is that they have they have been they have overcome the evil one. So they're working through their flesh. They're right. working through their temptations. They're beginning the process of sanctification. And and so I think that this is it's a really cool little segment and it's not like a you interact with every believer with just these specific things, but I think what that means is that as you're in relationship with other believers that you treat them in a way that is leading them to the next step of spiritual development. Mm-hmm leading them to the next step of spiritual maturity. And so, uh, and I think this is great that John, even though he's saying this affectionately, gives us a great kind of interaction between different people, different people in his audience of different spiritual maturities. And we can do the same thing when we interact with people, uh, believers and brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. as, as As we're winding down this thing, and we talk about, you know, What's going on, right? This this Gnostic thing that they've had a, a, a <clears throat> excuse me a tough situation in church, right? And also, you know, John's giving them encouragement. Um, I mean, as for prayer, I know we always end with prayer. Michael, if you would please read that for us as the prayer to wrap everything up today, I'd appreciate it. Sure. And now, God, help us to abide in you, so that when you appear we can have confidence and not shrink in your name mm-hmm. at your coming. Mm-hmm. If you know, if we know that you're righteous, we can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of you. Like what an encouragement, you know, that, that, that wraps up this chapter that um, we can be confident. We don't have to be shameful and we know that he's righteous um, and, and we can be sure that we're born again. Um, in, in, in him. I mean, what, what a beautiful ending to this chapter. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. That wraps up another episode of the weekly impact podcast. And, um, we will be back next week on Tuesday as always with the next chapter, but until then, please spread the word of the podcast. Um, and if you're liking what you're hearing, I always say this, but, uh, please, it, it, it's always a good reminder to go out and give us a rating, give us a review, spread the word of what we're doing here because we want the word of God to spread uh, as much as possible. And, uh, we hope that this is a good vehicle for that. So until next week, we hope that you have a great week and you're safe and, um, happy and healthy. And we will talk to you next week.